Keep in mind that as we go through this epistle that Paul the Apostle, after his first imprisonment in Rome, that he's in Macedonia and he's writing to Timothy, inspired by the Spirit of God. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, that when I was, went to Macedonia, I urge you to stay in Ephesus. So Timothy has been commissioned to pastor the church in Ephesus, that church that Paul the Apostle would plant and start on his third missionary journey. It's a large church. Remember, the city of Ephesus was given over to Christianity, the gospel. And and, in Acts chapter 19, you read about that great revival that took place. So Paul here is he has given Timothy the responsibility to shepherd this church, to pastor the church, to oversee the church. It is a daunting task that Timothy has because not only the persecution that they are facing from uh, on the outside, uh, but within there is those who have come into the church as Paul had warned them some five years previous to him putting pen to parchment in writing to Timothy saying that there's going to be those who are going to rise up speaking perverse things. They're savage wolves and, and drawing disciples after themselves. I, I warned you day and night for two years. So Timothy here is, is being instructed in the priority of the church. The emphasis here in First and Second Timothy, particularly in those two pastoral epistles, is sound doctrine. And the very first charge that Paul gives to Timothy in chapter 1 is, I charge you, teach no other doctrine. In other words, when you read that word doctrine, Paul's talking about sound truth, sound doctrine, the gospel message, because there are those who had come in, the Gnostics, the legalists, those who are given over to myths and fables. You're going to have to deal with them, Timothy. So Timothy, I charge you, teach no other doctrine. And then at the end of chapter one as well, there you're going to have to wage the good warfare. In other words, you're going to have to fight the good fight of the spirit because it is a battle out there. And then in chapter two, as Paul is continuing to write to him concerning priority in the church, order in the church, and your conduct, Timothy, as a pastor, that you are to be one that remind the men that they are to be given over to prayer, lifting up holy hands. Here's the role of men and women in the corporate meeting of believers. And then in chapter 3, here are the qualifications. Here are the characteristics of the overseer, the elder, and then also concerning the deacon, the one that would serve in very practical ways. And then a couple weeks ago, as we moved into chapter 4, we saw that Paul would pause and he would give this warning to Timothy that what's going to take place, Timothy, in the latter times is some are going to depart from the faith and and give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, Timothy, this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit has declared this to me. And that there are going to be those who are going to be given over to that which is deceptive and that which is false. And if you warn the brethren about this and teach them about these things, then you're a good minister of Jesus Christ. So moving forward, and we're seeing that even today in our own time, there are those who have departed from sound doctrine, from the truth of God. God's word from the faith and given over to that which is worldly and deceptive and, and deceiving. So we need to be warned about those things. But then Paul, as we saw last week, he would say that bodily exercise profits little. In other words, it's temporary, but we need to labor together or strive together in godly exercise. In other words, in godliness. In Timothy, this is how you can do it. And we saw those present imperatives 
perspectives in verses 11 through 16 that this is going to help you towards godliness. Not that it's a fleshly kind of thing. It's a work of the Spirit. But there are some things that you and I are to do to exercise godliness. And, and you are to, number one, uh, let no one despise your youth. You are to be an example, Timothy, to the believers in word and conduct and love in spirit in faith and in purity. And it's the same with us. We are to be an example to others that the reality of Jesus Christ is in our hearts and we desire to exercise godliness or move towards holiness in our lives. You are to give attention to, to reading, to doctrine, and, and you are to not neglect the gift that it has been given to you by God, uh, declared to you by the laying on of hands uh, of prophecy. And in Second Timothy, he's told, stir up that gift. So it gives us indication that Timothy was perhaps a little bit timid, a little bit afraid maybe, because this is a very difficult task that has been given to him, ordained to him by God, and you're to stir up that gift that he's given to you, the gift of teaching. And then Timothy, what you're to do is meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. In other words, as you are giving yourself to the word of God and to the Lord in prayer, you're going to grow as a minister of Jesus Christ. More importantly, you're going to grow as a man of God. And it's going to be evident to those that you minister to. So these things were really important for us to consider and pray through because the Lord wants to do that work in every single one of us. I hope you don't think, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be a minister. Listen, you guys are a pastor in your home to your family. And you have opportunity to minister to others. So you want to meditate on the word of God. You want to continue to grow in the word of God and give yourself to the Lord that you may grow. And then it's going to be evident to others because you're going to be able to minister to them more effectively. So this is really important for us to consider and go through. This is for us today as we read this letter written 2,000 years ago. Of course, God's word, all of it is profitable for us even as we continue here in 1 Timothy. So now as we move into chapter 5, what we're going to see is Paul is going to continue to instruct Timothy on conduct in the church. And this is how the church should run. And in chapter 5, the apostle is going to talk about, first of all, how it is that we treat one another. And then he's going to talk about taking care of widows and guidelines for that. And then Timothy's relationship to the elders in the church. So let's begin to read together as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. And so you recall that last week, that in verse 12 of chapter 4, that Paul wrote, let no one despise your youth, Timothy. And now Paul is telling Timothy how he is to relate and minister to different individuals in the church. And notice here in the first two verses of the chapter that he uses terms father and mother and brother and sister. And I think that perhaps Paul is prompted by the Holy Spirit to write those terms down because he is reminding us that we are a family. This is how you relate to each other. We are the body of Christ. We know that. 
but we are also the family of God. We are family. And there's only one body, that is true believers in Jesus Christ. There's one family, the family of God. We have not the, the spirit of fear, but of adoption, Romans chapter 8, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. He's our Father, and we are His children. But as we relate to one another in the house of God, we are a family. And I hope we always remember that. You see, I, I, I hope and, and pray that we don't just think, oh, I'm a member of Calvary Chapel. It's more than that. But rather, we are a family. And when we see each other in that way, and how it is that we are to treat each other, how it is that we are to relate to each other, it is a wonderful and a very powerful thing in the life of a believer and in the life of a church. It is a tremendous blessing and a great benefit to belong to the family of God. Now, some of you I know, coming through the services this morning, when you think of family, it may bring up thoughts of pain, <clears throat> of difficulty, of sorrow. Perhaps you grew up in a family that, well, it wasn't good. It was very difficult Perhaps there was strain, there, there was separation, difficulty. Your family, you might be sitting there thinking, was so dysfunctional and severed because of what was taking place. You maybe even grew up in a home where there was abuse. And for that, I am terribly sorry for the pain that you may have experienced. And the idea of family conjures up a lot of negative things. For some coming through the services this morning, you might think a church is a family. And again, you had bad experience in the church. We talk to people all the time about that. You were hurt. You were hurt by those in the leadership. Uh, there was turmoil. There was sin among the leadership. You were rejected, perhaps. Maybe you were judged. And, and, and maybe there was gossip. There was slander, politics that were taking place. And for that, I am sorry that you experienced that in the church because it ought not to be. But I think it's important that we stop for a moment and remind ourselves, just as Paul is reminding Timothy, oh, Timothy, the older men as fathers, treat them. The, the older women as mothers. The, the younger men as brothers and younger women as, as sisters. He's reminding us that this thing called the church, which he's also told us in chapter 2, is the pillar and ground of truth. We are a family. We are not a social club. We are a family. We're not a perfect family by no means. And we never will be. Because we're imperfect people that come together, that are perfectly forgiven, that believe in a perfect God. And just as a family, my own family, your family, as we raise kids and, and, and have grandkids, they have similarities, but they're different. Uh, different personalities, different likes and, and, and dislikes, just as I raise four kids. And, and it's wonderful to see God working in their lives and, and the similarities and their own personalities. And, and for us here at Calvary Chapel, we all come with different personalities, uh, different experiences, uh, different likes and dislikes. We come from different ethnic groups. But we have one thing 
that brings us together, that, that brings us to be one, one family, and that is we love Jesus, right? And here at Calvary Chapel, we are a family. And it's a family that is growing. And I pray that you really see it as a blessing and a benefit as you get to know your family and have relationship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, Sue and I, we were talking uh, a few days ago. It, it was at this time 24 years ago. We came up in January. Uh, it's going to be 24 years ago that we came up and started a Bible study to start Calvary Chapel in our home. And at this time, before that, we were praying about, do we go to Greeley? We don't know anything about starting a church, and we don't know anyone except for, for John and Becca. And, you know, we were praying about these things. But think about it. 24 years ago, there was no Calvary Chapel Greeley. And look what he's done. The family that he's brought together. And we have family that, that aren't here members, and we have family that were a part of our church, and they've moved to rural areas, and they still tune in, and they still watch, and, and they will always be a part of our family. But look what he's done, and I am so thankful for that. I can read statistics, you know, that, that pastors, and they survey that 80% of pastors uh, are, you know, uh, stressed out and, and depressed, and 90% of pastors' wives feel like the ministry has really harmed their family and, and has not been a benefit at all. And I read that, and, and it grieves my heart. And I know ministry can be difficult at times, and it can be hard, and it can be hard on the family. But Sue and I have always considered it a great privilege to be a part of this family and for me to pastor this church and for me to be behind this pulpit week after week, you know, year after year. I never want to take that for granted ever. And to watch the Lord work and relationships that we have and, and to be able to be a part of your life and your family's life. What a great joy it has been for us and I want to encourage you because I don't want you to miss out on being a part of the family of God. And I know I'm preaching to the choir a bit here because you are here. But continue to come and develop relationships because we need each other. Have you noticed the world's really mean out there? Isn't it going to get worse? And we have opportunities for you to gather home fellowship. Men for men's study and men prayer. Ladies and, and other times. Ladies chili to come together, have a meal, to be able to, to grow in those relationships. I hope and pray that none of us, that we have the mindset of, I don't need the church. I don't need the church. You know, I, I just want to be alone. Listen, you're talking to somebody who knows what it means to be alone. Because I, after college, I lived in a cabin on 20 acres. I didn't care to talk to anybody. I was a loner. And God began to work in my heart. And for me to be standing here is a miracle of God because I didn't want anything to do with people. It's like, you leave me alone and we're going to get along just fine. And that's the way it was. And I didn't, you know, um, I go home from work on the weekend and I didn't see anybody till Monday morning. That was fine with me. But then the Lord began to minister to me. And you don't want to isolate yourself because one of the tactics of the enemy is he'll try to isolate you. And that gives him a better chance to get a foothold into your life, to discourage you, to tempt you, and for the world to beat you up. 
So we need to be in a place where there's safety and there's security and we're growing in relationships. We need each other. And I talk to people all the time on the radio or I talk to them at other times, Christians, and I'll ask them, are you in a church? Are you with a group of believers? And I understand that there are some that they can't because of health reasons or their shut-ins or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, we are told that we are to be in a household of God. And don't miss out on that. And we never take that for granted. That, that we come together and there's blessing and benefit. And that's what I pray takes place here. You know, Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. This is a place where we are loving one another. We are exhorting one another. We are building each other up. We're supporting each other. We're helping each other. We're encouraging each other. We're praying for each other. And when that is happening in a church, then that is powerful. And that is powerful in the life of a believer and to a family. And what a blessing has been. One of the blessings of longevity in ministry is to watch kids grow up in the church and grow up and then they have children and, and just continue in that. And the fellowship that, that you get to have for each other, relationships I get to watch you guys build. And, and don't miss out on that. We have made it easy for Christians not to be in fellowship. Because we have live stream, we have podcasts, we have, you know, Facebook and, and all these other things. And that's a benefit. It can be a blessing. But don't use those things to say, I don't need to be in church. I'll just sit in my pajamas at home and watch live stream. Be in the household of God. Don't miss out on the fellowship. Be blessed and benefited by it. And then as a family, we are told how it is that we are to treat one another. As he says, Paul to Timothy, this is how you minister to different individuals in a church. When it comes to the older men, uh, you are to appeal to him as you would your own father. And the word rebuke here literally means not to pound on or to strike at. The Greek word for rebuke here is not the normal word for rebuke that we find in the New Testament. This is the only place, matter of fact, in the New Testament where this meaning of rebuke is used. So, Timothy, the older man, you're not to pound on, to lash out, to strike at, to chastise with words. But you are to exhort them, which has the meaning you are to encourage them, build them up. You have respect for the older men as a father and younger men as brothers. Now, Paul is not saying that you can never bring, bring rebuke or correction to others. Or you can never bring rebuke to uh, or correction to an older man. But there is a right way and a wrong way to do it, as indicated here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. And that is you are, if you're going to bring correction, if you're going to bring rebuke uh, and do it to encourage, you are to do it with respect and you're to do it with the right attitude and you're to do it in love. And rebuke is something that Paul will tell Timothy that he is to do. Matter of fact, we will see in verse 20 of this chapter, Paul instructs Timothy, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear, he, he, when he's talking about elders. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. 
The third pastoral epistle, Titus, in chapter 2, Titus is told that you, Titus, as a pastor, rebuke with all authority. So we can have those difficult conversations. And we are to have those difficult conversations because when we bring rebuke or that is correction, there is a motive of I want you to do well in the things of the Lord, in the way of the Lord. I don't want you to continue down this road of carnality or sin, but I care enough about you to speak the truth in love, even as Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, the benefit of the church is that we are to come together. He gave some to be pastors and teachers for the edifying of the saints, for equipping of the saints, and for the benefit of the body of Christ, that we may come together in unity, speaking the truth in love and building each other up. You can read that chapter but as we do it's because I want you to do well in the things of the Lord not just I want to pounce on you and I want to you know uh, put all the things you do on Facebook that's the problem that we see today is people love to you know throw things on Facebook and this person and this church and all of this and it's brutal one of the responsibilities that I have as a pastor is to rebuke, but to do it in a way not to disrespect you or just start pounding on people and striking out at them. If I was to stand up here and just pound away at people in my teaching and lashing out, it wouldn't be long that I think that nobody would show up. I don't think my own family would show up. You don't talk down to people. There's a difference between talking down to them or coming alongside in humility. And encouraging. Hey, brother, you know, I'm seeing this. I care about you. You're not to do this. And God's word doesn't, you know, God's word declares not to go this way. God wants to do so much in your life. Walk with him. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, a good verse for you to kind of jot down in your notes But a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, listen, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. I have met a few people in the body of Christ. They feel their calling is is just to go around and rebuking people, looking for fault, sin sniffers, all whatever you want to call them. And they're real harsh about it and prideful and pointing fingers. And they're all hard and not interested in showing any kind of gentleness. If one is overtaken in a trespass, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Not meanness, but meekness. They have no interest in seeing that person restored in truth. Just blasting away. And you need to be like me and... And, and here's something else to remember. If you're going to bring correction to somebody, make sure that you bring chapter and verse. Make sure that you bring the word of God to where you can show them that this is what God's word says. And he wants what's best for you. And, and to give the word of God to them, to let the word of God do the work. Because the word of God is alive and powerful. Don't just think, well, I don't like them, so I'm going to rebuke them and all of this. I'm going to, you know, blast them. There is a biblical and correct way to rebuke others. Show respect and love and concern for that individual that you bring correction to. And if somebody does bring rebuke in a loving manner, listen. They show you the word of God. Wise is anyone who will use that rebuke as a valuable means to grow. 
to say thank you for, for bringing that. So, you know, younger men, you're to, to treat as brothers. We're brothers. They're not your enemy. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2, if you rebuke an older woman, you do it with respect that you show to your own mother. I think Paul was sensitive in this because remember in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, that when Paul was giving greetings to the Christians, he said, greet Rufus and his mother and mine. She's my mother. She's my mother. He saw her as a mother. For the younger women... As sisters in the Lord, notice here, mark it down. He has with all purity. With all purity. You know, particularly for you younger guys that desire to be married someday, or this is for all of us, you treat the ladies as a sister in the Lord, first and foremost. And you are to do it with all purity. Dads, parents, I encourage you, talk to your boys about this as they're growing up. A great need in the church today is fathers, parents, teach your boys to be men, to be godly men. You talk to them about purity. You you talk to them about how it is that they're going to treat their future wife. And you know where it begins? It begins at home. How it is that they talk to their mom? How it is that they talk to their sister? And, and, and if they're there, you know, always arguing with mom, being demanding, being lazy, teach your boys the value of work to serve. And here mom's bringing in all the groceries and juniors, they're sitting on the couch just on his phone, ignoring. Talk to them about those things. About how it is they treat mom with respect and their sister. Because it's going to go a long ways and it's going to give indication how it is that they're going to treat their future wife. And we want to have those discussions with them. And guys, you've got to learn to serve your wife because you're called to do that, to serve her, to cherish her, to lead her, to love her, to lay down your life for her. That's what it means to love your wife as Christ loves the church, not being all just dictatorial and everything centers around me. And for you young guys that want to get married someday, you've got to learn to serve because you're going to be called to serve her. And I know I'm being a little bit heavy on this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Over the years, I've had a lot of women in my office that say, my man, my husband, he's like a boy. He's like a baby. And it grieves me to hear that. I've had others that say, non-believing boys treat me better than the believing boys. It grieves me when I hear that. Talk to your daughters about the kind of godly man that they are to wait for. And young ladies, if you have a boy that he wants you to compromise morally and bring you into sin, and he's a carnal guy, you don't want him. You tell him to pack sand. 
And if you have a boy that is interested in you and he just whines and complains and you don't do enough for him and he manipulates and you have to prop him up all the time, then you tell him, I'm not your mommy. Be wise. So I want to give you a little bit of advice from old Pastor Jeff. Paul says, you know what manner of man I was in all seasons. Take all seasons. You take all seasons to see what kind of man he's going to be. Oh, he'll be great when things are going smooth and, and good. But what about when difficulty comes and challenges come? How is he going to meet that? How is he going to respond to you when you do something that he doesn't like? You know what manner of man I was in all seasons. Take all seasons to get to know him. And here's one more piece of advice, and then I'm going to move on. And I've told many of you young ladies that are in high school that leave to go to college, I tell you, leave the boys alone. Now, if you meet a godly young man, that's different. But leave the boys alone. And I know that I sound a little bit heavy on this, but I want you to do well in the things of the Lord. And listen, guys, I will talk to you. I will encourage you. I'll try to build you up, but I will not pamper you. And I will encourage you to be a leader because you're going to be called. Oh, I was hoping to get to it today, but we're not. That you are called, that you're to provide for your household. You have responsibilities and to lead, and it's a great need in the church today. I hope it's an encouragement. I hope it's a challenge for, for you guys to step forward and to grow in the Lord and to lead. And none of us do this perfectly. I understand that. But it's not an excuse to be worldly. So verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. Now in verses 3 through 16, Paul's going to be instructing Timothy and how he is to minister to widows and how they are to treat widows. And take a moment to kind of set the scene here. Throughout the, the Old and New Testament, we see that God had a real heart for widows, for orphans. And we see that in the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, that God made provision and gave instructions to the children of Israel that they were to be taken under the wings of the congregation. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 6, we read a, a division that was in the early church uh, due to tension arising concerning the care of the Hellenistic and, and Hebrew widows. And the deacons were then appointed to take care of their needs. And the church realized her responsibility to care for these widows. And you see, in Paul's day, it would be very difficult for a woman to provide for herself. There was no job for her. And it was the husband or the sons that would take care of of the widow, uh, of the family. If the woman's husband died, there was no sons. There was no retirement. There was no Social Security. There was no, you know, life insurance. None of that. We see in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, the, 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 the widow of Nain, whose only son died and Jesus raised him from the grave, she would be in a difficult situation because she had no one to take care of her. 
So here it is 30 years later after Acts 6, and there are many widows that needed to be cared for, and Paul is instructing Timothy, here are some guidelines to helping those who really need help. And as we look at this, we see certainly how it applies to widows, but I believe it also gives us guidelines on how we can help people in general, how we can help those who truly have need. Verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. If one husband dies and their children, grandchildren, they were to, to help care for her, you, Timothy, honor widows who are really widows, or that is what he's saying, left alone. They have no one to care for them. But if one finds herself a widow and has family, it's pleasing to God that they take care of that, that mom, uh, that grandma, even with the elderly man. In other words, family has responsibilities. And many of you here, you're in that situation presently, and I know it's hard. Taking care of elderly parents. But I want to encourage you because it is pleasing in the sight of God as you are doing that and fulfilling your responsibility in that. And now she who is really a widow, verse 5, is and left alone trust in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Now, what is being said here? One of the marks of a needy widow was one that put her trust in God and continued in prayers and supplications. I think about Anna of Luke chapter 2. Many of you know the story. She was a prophetess, a widow. The scripture tells us she did not depart from the temple there in Jerusalem. She served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And here was a wonderful woman, a widow, that dedicated herself to the things of the Lord. She prayed to the Lord. She was looking for the Lord. Uh, she recognized baby Jesus, you know, as the, the, the Messiah when Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple to be dedicated a few days after his birth. And she talks, you know, about the Lord to others. We we're told she spoke of, of, you know, the Lord to others. So here's one that was dedicated to serving the Lord and gave herself to the Lord. The widow who gave two mites, as Jesus noticed that in the Synoptic Gospels, gave all that she had. God took notice of it. So he has a special place for widows. But I also want to encourage you who are widows here, who maybe have gone through loss. That is interesting to me that in chapter 2 of Luke concerning Anna here and Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, giving themselves the constant prayer night and day. Not day and night like what we say. And I think it's recorded by the Holy Spirit night and day. First of all, that's when their day started in the Jewish culture was sunset to sunset. But I think there's another reason. Because even as I read from Psalm 16, and David in the Psalms would talk about the night watches, the nighttime, when your heart is full of pain, and there's sorrow and grief, and you can't sleep, and it's a difficult time, and you feel alone. For anybody that feels that way in the night watches, it can be a hard time. I want to encourage you, seek the Lord. And David would write about that oftentimes in the Psalms, about the night watches and, and how he was full of sorrow and grief, but he would give himself to the Lord, and the Lord would minister his comfort and grace to him and his strength to him. 
And he would praise the Lord. And it's in those times where we don't even know what to say. Know this, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you. Even in our groanings. And you draw close to the Lord. And call out to the Lord. And he's going to show up. And he's going to bring comfort to you. And you're going to see that his grace is going to be sufficient even when you're overwhelmed. But for you to be able to face another day and the task that is before you and the day that is before you and you keep going back to the Lord and allow him to bring that comfort to you that you need and strength and wisdom. So Paul goes on to say those who are widows... Ah, give yourself to the Lord. He's encouraging. Those who don't have anyone to take care of, we're going to be instructed that we're to help and take care of them. And then he says the widows that are living only to please self, living for pleasure, she's dead while she lives. Is he being harsh? No, he's not. He's saying that there are those, in other words, that will take advantage of the church. And, and those who do live for self and pleasure, anyone, they're just dying inside. Because there's such an emptiness in their living life in that way. But this is a general guideline for us, for us to be able to help others. Listen, we want to help others here at Calvary Chapel, but we also know that there are those who come along who want to take advantage of the church and manipulate, and they, they, they do that. We've given people money, then we see them down at the liquor store. So we've learned over the years. And we want to be giving, and we want to be discerning, though, because there are those that will take advantage of the church. Listen, we're here to help. Sometimes we help. We don't know what the results are. But it takes prayer and discernment and just the leading of the Lord as we do that. So Paul's going to continue giving instructions here um, as we continue through the chapter and some very important things in helping others that's going to help you because sometimes you're called to help others. And you're wondering, do I do this? Do I help them? Or am I just enabling them? And how to minister to others and how to provide and the instruction given. So very important things. But we're going to stop here. And Father, we thank you for these verses that were given to us. That, Lord, that remind us that we're of the family of God. This is a very important, very important thing that is given to us here. Uh, instruction and reminder and truth and I thank you for the family of God that you've put together here but I want to address if anyone who's here because I know the coffee shop's full and it's full here in the sanctuary and those who are listening that if you're here and you've never given yourself to the Lord you've never come to faith that you've never come to Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sin he is your salvation there's none other he loves you he went to cross to die for you and the invitation is always to come. He says, come. And as you do come in faith, realizing your need to be forgiven, and that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins, and he rose again, he's alive. And as you ask him to be your Lord and Savior and come into your heart, and surrender your life to him, you will be saved. He is your salvation. You can do that right now. Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray that Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. 
And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you're alive. You rose from the grave speaking to my heart. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for bringing me into the family of God, for forgiving me, and for the living hope I have now through you. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And listen, if you made that commitment, that prayer, I know your heart may be racing a little bit or you're a little bit nervous, but come up and tell the prayer team you made that decision because we just want to encourage you and welcome you to the family of God. And for all of us, that may we really love others. And may this be a place where those who are unbelievers can come. This is a hospital. And they can be loved and encouraged. And we can speak the truth in love. But for each other in the house of God, that we would really care for each other and build each other up. Lord, help us to do that. Because we are living stones being fitted together in this holy habitation. So, Lord, we thank you for these reminders. And, and Lord, help us to treat one another with purity, with respect, wanting to build up. And, and Lord, help us men to be godly men, husbands, fathers. Help the women to be godly women of ministering to their kids, wives. We all have roles to play but more than anything else, to be a child of God living in a way that is pleasing to you and a blessing and benefit to others. Thank you for today. Take everyone home safely now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and an amen. Would you please stand?